Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach. I have a fantastic interview for you this week. John Stoy is my special guest. And by the way, he is likely the only investment advisor that you'll ever meet that has managed both three and a half billion with a B dollars and a sushi kitchen. <laughs> Gotta ask him about that. John's career in finance began on a Wall Street trading floor over 25 years ago and also with stops at, at investment and commercial banks, money managers, and even his own hedge fund. And this has uniquely prepared him to see the financial services industry for what it is. It's flush with companies and professionals that are far more focused on their own best interests than their customers probably say that about a lot of industries. John believes sincerely that done well and delivered fairly good financial advice is more valuable than its cost and worth buying. I couldn't agree more. That's not my strong suit. We have a really good financial advisor. So listen, on top of that, John brings to the table experience opening, running, and selling a small food uh, service business, and nothing breaks you out from the shackles of Wall Street than uh, being a small business owner on Main Street. So, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm going to try and take this, not all, I'm sure John's not going to dispense um, uh, some critical financial advice, because by the time you hear this interview, it'll be different. But anyway, John Stoy, how are you doing today? I'm I'm doing fantastic, or at least as fantastic as I, I can be doing. I think, you know, we're recording this uh, during the COVID-19 epidemic. So it's a, it's an interesting time for sure for everybody. Um, And, and, you know, a lot of anxiety uh, playing through everybody's minds. Yeah. And so just for the time frame, because we're generally about three to four weeks um, with the interviews ahead of schedule. So we're, we're talking, I think it's right around uh, what's the date today, April 6th. April 2nd. <laughs> Boy, time doesn't, time doesn't fly when you're cooped up. Um, but so we're at April 2nd and um, Boy, the markets. I mean, well, first of all, before we get into the markets, I'm, I'm just curious. I have to ask you, so you've managed $3.5 billion in a sushi kitchen. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a crazy story um, and, and one that I won't get too much into the weeds uh, with here you today, but let's just say that uh, I took the path well-traveled for a, uh, for, for a finance guy um, from graduation of, from college through the 2008-9 financial crisis, I just sort of hit every stepping stone along the way, worked on a trading uh, desk, got my MBA, was an investment banker for a while, structured uh, large transactions um, in the fixed income world, and then managed uh, fixed income portfolios for some large institutions, which imagine they would have to be uh, yeah. managing that much money. Um, then we had this thing called the financial crisis 10 years ago. So um, I'm on the, uh, we're on the 10 year plan in terms of uh, shakeups in, in my career as it were. But uh, I just frankly got tired of, and it was a couple times in a row that, that, that we were put out of business. I had some, had, had a small, 
money manager that we started after uh, the financial crisis. And we were put, put out of business essentially by the actions of the government, by bailing out the banks. Uh, yeah. I'm not necessarily against what they did, but, but it, it, it wasn't good for, for my business. So after, after, basically after getting put out of business a couple of times, <clears throat> as a result of events that I felt were completely out of my control, yeah. um, I decided I was going to do a 180 and I said, I'm going to get out of this finance game and I'm going to pick something that's as far away from finance as I could possibly get. Um, and still do something that I could, that I could feel good about. I could feel good about uh, feeding people. I could feel good about uh, being a, a provider of healthy food. Um, but also I did, I did try to think of, of, you know, what my exit strategy would be at the time. Um, and, I looked at companies that had low barriers to entry. And so that's what led me to food. And I actually had a friend from business school who, who was running a small grab and go sushi restaurant. Um, and he was looking to expand. He always told me he wanted to be the uh, Taco Bell of, of grab and go sushi. And, ah. and I said, well, that's, that sounds okay. Maybe we should, let's change it to at least to the, to the Chipotle of, of, of grab and go <laughs> yeah, sushi. A little bit better quality, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I, but I told him, I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I think this is a pretty good idea, but um, I'm not going to open a restaurant. We all know the failure rates of restaurants is, is extremely high. I don't want to worry about people basically, you know, just turning on a light. I want to, I didn't want to turn on the light and hope somebody would walk in the door um, for business. I wanted to control uh, whether I was going to get business as much as possible. So I decided the way to do that would, was, was to be to find uh, a product that I could sell to corporate accounts, basically. Um, and so the sushi product was, was basically white space within the food service industry, providing uh, food to corporate cafeterias, hospitals, schools, um, that type of thing. And, and we did it. We built that uh, business up uh, here in Atlanta and at a couple other locations um, to the point where five years later, I was able to, to sell it um, and become a stay-at-home dad, which I did for for the next several years until my, my son got into wow. kindergarten. Wow, probably the most important job yet, I would think, huh? With, without a doubt, uh, without a doubt. Um, and, uh, and, and you know what? We're, we're, we're circling back into that because uh, I'm managing uh, his virtual schooling right now. And, and we, of course, based upon the, the time that we're recording this, uh, we've just got the, the word that the schools are not opening back up before the end of the normal school year. So, so wow. he'll be doing virtual schooling for the, for the rest of this school year. And we, and we cross our fingers that in uh, August, 2020, everybody in the country is back to school. That's for sure. Yeah. I feel real bad for the seniors and man, I, I don't know what's going to happen there. I don't think anybody knows right now. No, there's no, there's no, that's, it's a, you know, my wife's a physician and she likes to use the term suboptimal um, and she uses it euphemistically usually. And this, so this is, this is kind of a suboptimal event. Yeah. I have to ask you about the um, being on the floor of the stock exchange. I, I don't know if it's just stock footage they show a million times, but you see all these people crammed together and they're shouting up at somebody and then they write, <laughs> they write something on a scrap of paper. And I'm like, is, is that actually happening now? How do they remember that? Do they hear each other? Like, tell me about that. Well, you know, so, so, so all that stuff, <laughs> a lot of it does happen. Um, and it is as crazy as it seems. Um, and, 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 but, but I know of it 
more uh, on a secondhand basis than I do on a firsthand basis because I was always on a fixed income trading floor. So bond trading floors. And those trading floors tend to exist um, within each firm. So, so my firms had large open trading floors with lots and lots of desks all in a row, um, all connected with their stacks of screens. When I, when I first started in the early 90s, we had these green, stre- green screens that you'd stack three and six high wow. to, to see the individual markets that would be transmitting in, in, into the, to the trading desk. Uh, now, of course, everybody's got multiple flat screens, right? Um, with yep. little tiny windows opened on it. But, uh, but, but a lot of it, you know, that, that type of um, environment, it's, uh, you, you either thrive in it or you don't. I mean, I loved it. Um, it turned out to be something that I didn't want to do for the rest of my life uh, because of, I'm I'm a little more analytical in that I like the the go 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 of the of the trading um, for short spurts um, but but mostly I like to dive deeply into into things and so that that's what led me to to putting together transactions and then you know and then again managing portfolios because ideally if you've put together a good portfolio of investments it doesn't matter you know, what kind of investments those are. Um, you shouldn't be trading them a lot anyway. Right. So after you um, sold the sushi business, became a stay-at-home dad, but you're also, do you have a, did you start another business? Are you an independent financial advisor? Or what's, what's the other side of that I, coin? I, I am. So the, the flip side of that coin is that, you know, after, after really being at home for a while, um, I, I certainly enjoyed it and I enjoy every moment uh, with the exception of the screaming um, that I spend <laughs> with my son, yeah. uh, the uh, you know I, I did want to get back to work, and I and I thought often about what I wanted to do when I get back into it. And of course, I had folks telling me, "Well, just go back to banking." Um, but um, if you've got an entrepreneurial uh, bone in your body, that that becomes difficult once you've done a few of your own things. Um, it's a it's difficult to do that. It's also difficult to manage your schedule. So, so I decided that I had to do something on my own and I wanted it to be rewarding, not just financially. I mean, everybody needs to make a living, right? So, so, mm-hmm. so I couldn't, I, I'm, I wasn't, unfortunately, like one of the, uh, I wasn't one of these Wall Street guys who, who made enough money while they, while they were in their forties to, uh, to retire uh, or become, you know, philanthropist or whatever they do. I still need to work for a living, um, but uh, but I do have the flexibility to um, make that something that I really want to do. Um, and and I didn't want to go back to work for for a big bank. Uh, I wanted to help people uh, on an individual basis um, because of a lot of that sort of came from my time running the, uh, the sushi business because of, I saw really the smiles on people's faces when, when they would try our sushi and they would be absolutely shocked um, because we were, for the most part, other than when we did catering events, we did packaged sushi and people would, that's not something that in, in, the, in the States people are used to. They're used to it in, in, in Asia, but, uh, but not so much in the States. And they would think of it in terms of grocery store sushi not being that great. Um, right. And so, so we, you know, we made it fresh every night and we used really high quality ingredients. And so when they tasted it, they were happy, they were surprised. And, and I sort of wanted that same emotional connection um, with clients. Um, and I realized that I could do it 
if I did financial advisory on the personal finance side, if I did it the right way. So how long, so, so what's the name of your firm now? So, so, so my firm's, uh, is called verbatim financial. Um, and, uh, and I chose that, uh, not just because it wasn't already taken, uh, (laughs) but, uh, but because (laughs) I like to say that, that, you know, everybody that I work with understands what they're getting. I spell it out word for word. It's easy, uh, to understand what I do for them. And frankly, more importantly, um, how, how they pay for it because of, so my company is, is we are amongst the, the, the small cadre of uh, flat fee, fee only financial advisors, okay. which means that uh, we charge one fee for, for an on, ongoing financial advisory, uh, an annual fee, and the client knows exactly what it is. And so they're not gonna get charged more because they have more money with us. Um, they're not gonna be worried that uh, we're gonna try to sell them something to make extra dollars off of them. Uh, is that a huge problem, John? And when in that industry, I sometimes wonder if um, business owners and financial planners, I'm thinking of specifically, is that, is that like one of the biggest hurdles to overcome? Because it seems to me besides your doctor, your CPA, you know, your accountant or whatever, um, your, your financial planner, I mean, that is such a, a high trust job to put your finances in the hands of somebody else. Is that, is, are they, where does oh, what are your fees? Where is that rank on the scale of whether you, whether you do well, you're trustworthy, et cetera? Um, in my opinion, it, it's, it's right up there at the top. Um, wow. The, the financial advisory business, it's a, it's a fascinating business. Um, I think it's really important. Um, can people learn to, to do financial planning and, and, and manage their own financial lives? Of, co- of course they can. You know, and I'm happy to, to help folks do that. Um, if that's what they want to do, you know, we can, I can, I can lead them through a plan and they can, and they can go off and do it on their own, you know, in the, in the future. Um, but, uh, and, and also, frankly, there's tons of information on the internet nowadays, more, more so right than, than ever before. But the degree of trust that, that you're, that, as you say, that, that somebody needs to put in, into the, into their advisor, um, it's right up there with, with all the different, professionals that you listed. And the problem is, is that um, really our, our industry has a lot of folks who, who aren't really so much advisors uh, or planners as, as they are salespeople. Um, you know, a lot of the industry advisors, and, and, and if, if you saw my fingers, I'd be doing air quotes there, um, okay. are really insurance salesmen. That's a that they make up a bit a big portion of the of the industry, and so they're in it to sell insurance products because that's how they get paid. And I I can't fault them for wanting to make a living because sure. if, if you're an insurance salesman, um, you need to you need to to put the money you know put uh, food on your table. It's going to come from selling insurance, and 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 a lot of those folks are they go about it totally honestly they uh they they really they try to do the best for their clients and and they try to maybe pick the best products that they have to offer for their clients but very seldom are those products the best clients or the best products for their clients overall um if that makes sense because of the the uh, the the way they get paid um 
it's it's hard if you're a salesperson and you and you look at two products and they're pretty much equally beneficial for for the the client um but one is paying a larger commission than the other it's a it's it's really difficult to imagine the salesperson um choosing the one with the lower commission even though that probably means that over the course of time the client will pay a lot less out of their you know investment account or 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 their monies of, of any nature so it's a you can you can come to that business you know sort of honestly and still end up um doing a disservice to your clients hmm. so i have a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners that listen to the show um and i think just a painting with a very broad brush here. So many Americans are, are not ready and putting away for retirement. And I think of a lot of the small business owners that I, I they're so focused on business today and maybe business tomorrow or, or next year. But um, what are some of the ways that uh, small business owners should be uh, working with a financial advisor specifically to think about, you know, hopefully uh, retiring someday? Well, you could have taken a, a line out of my marketing materials there um, <laughs> because, uh, you know, as a, as, as a former small business owner, um, I, I saw that in myself, frankly, even despite uh, being in finance for a couple of decades before running my own business, um, there was no time during, in my life so far where I gave less attention to my personal um, financial world, put it that way, um, yeah. than when I was running the business. Um, I, I think, you know, business owners know that, right? You are, you dive in and you eat, sleep, breathe your business. And if you don't, your business is, is likely going to suffer. Um, and so I do uh, work with um, business owners, small to medium sized business owners. And, and, and to the, to the extent some C level, um, executives who, who are really sort of in the same type of boat, whereas they just don't have time to devote to, uh, thinking about it themselves. And, and, and business owners are fantastic to work for because they, they get concepts. And, and if they have a business that's been running, uh, for a while and, providing themselves and their families with, with income. They, they understand a P and L they understand profit and loss and cash flow. And so when I explained to them, you know, how important it is to keep your investment costs as low as possible um, and to keep them essentially growing as, as, as quickly as possible, but, but essentially, no, not attempting to grow too fast, um, not reaching for, uh, for, for some business basically that you shouldn't be reaching for. Um, we, in, the, in the bond industry, we call those people uh, yield hogs. And they, they're people that if the market is paying 3%, um, but they really want 5% on their money, um, they, they'll go for riskier uh, bonds, riskier investments. Um, and, and, and yield hogs often, you know, get eaten uh, by the, by the, by the markets. And yeah. so, you know, business owners understand that because of maybe they've done it in the past. Maybe they said, you know, I can grow my business by 50% next year. If I only buy this very large machine and then they buy the machine, 
they and and they realize that there's a lot more to it than than just having a machine in their in their uh, factory, um, and so they can think when I try to explain to them, well, listen, you know, uh, you're not going to outperform the market. You can, you should just set yourself up to take advantage of 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 what the market gives you. Um, obviously, you know, allocate your holdings so that they match the risk profile that you have for the, the period in your life, whatever period that is. Um, and then make all the other preparations and plans, you know, within, within your financial world. And I, and I, I guess I've used that term a few times, but your, your financial world, right. Just isn't investments. It's your estate planning. Um, and yes, your insurances, uh, and things like that. So it, it's, it's, it's not just your investments. And I think that's also another thing that, when people think of financial advisors, they just think of the stock market. But um, for clients that I work with, uh, and especially if, if people that I've worked with for, for longer than, than this particular uh, firm has existed, uh, it, it's, it's, we have more of a, of a relationship where we talk about uh, business strategy, uh, where we'll talk about changes in their lives um, and how to you know, prepare for and, and deal with them. Um, the 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 actual investment side becomes a, a pretty minimal part of the of the whole equation. So uh, I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist. Let's say uh, by the time this interview comes out, this will be passed. We'll be roaring again in the economy. That might be slightly wishful thinking, but I do believe we're going to bounce back. I mean, the fundamentals are still there, right? We just ask people not to work. What are some of the things that? Um, to watch out for when somebody does say, wow, I really need to get my button gear and get a financial advisor. What are, what are two or three tips that you can give them? Um, well, the first, the first is just to ask the question, you know, how, how does that person get paid? Um, because um, one of the, one of the buzzwords in the industry um, is, is fee only. Um, so, right. So, and, and the reason why they use that is because most people have, have sort of gotten, along the they've they've gotten the joke in terms of commissions they understand that if somebody gets a commission for selling you something um they are they they have an incentive to sell you that thing whether it's that good whether it's good for you or not right so so there are certainly the insurance advisors are still commission based but but other advisors uh are are moving towards this fee only practice um or they can even make it worse and, and their marketing materials and their marketing officers have come up with the, the term fee based, which actually can allow commissions as well. It's, 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 it's kind of a weird situation. So it, you really have to drill down into how that person's getting paid. Um, and, and you might be comfortable with a fee only advisor charging you a percentage of your assets that you give them. Um, I don't think that's, uh, in the best interest of a client, because let's say you have five hundred thousand dollars and you put it with an advisor and they're charging you the average of one percent, um, you pay them five thousand dollars a year. That might feel like a pretty fair amount to pay an advisor to 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 work with you o- over the course of a year to do your your financial plan and and keep everything you know moving as it should um, and be at the ready if you need to call them for something so that $5,000 seems reasonable. However, if you suddenly, maybe you get an inheritance and, and 
you get a million dollar inheritance, you add that million dollars to your 500,000. And suddenly, if you're under that AUM assets under management fee structure 1%, you're suddenly going to pay $15,000 to the advisor for the same work that he's doing for you uh, under the under the $500,000 uh, amount. And so, you know, I believe personally that that's not in the client's best interest. Um, so that can't be uh, what they call fiduciary. Uh, it's a word I don't use a lot. People right. talk about it because it's, that's also become a buzzword. Oh, I'm a fiduciary. Well, fiduciary just means that you're going to act always in your client's best interest, not in your best interest. Um, and there's plenty of, of fiduciaries claimed fiduciaries that, that use, that operate under the, the assets under management fee structure. Um, and, and, and they have their reasons that they can come up with as to, as to why they, they think that's, that's okay. Uh, that's just not the way, the way I feel that I can operate because if I, I know the amount of work I do for a client, it's, it's significant. Um, and, 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 and sort of, like you said, in that nice introduction, I do believe it's worth, it's worth being paid for, but, um, it certainly, it doesn't triple just because someone, you know, added, added some money to their accounts. Right. What a fun interview, John. Thanks so much for coming on the program. How can people uh, connect with you? I'm sure you got a main uh, website and if you want to give your email, et cetera, please, please do that now. Sure. Yeah. Anything, anything uh, verbatim financial.com. You can just go right there and find me. Um, You can also find me uh, all over social media for better or for worse. Uh, my handle on a lot of these things is uh, S-T-O-J-B-O-J, which is uh, pronounced uh, Stoyboy. I made a little joke out of that uh, <laughs> when, I was, uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in college. Um, my, my friends started to, started to chant Stoyboy when I was competing in different sporting events. And so, so, that's, uh, so my name spelled S-T-O-J, but pronounced Stoy like boy. Um, so Stoy Boy, I'm on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. And, uh, but verbatimfinancial.com is, is the website of the, of, the, of the financial advisory firm. Wonderful. John, thanks so much for, for uh, coming on. I look forward to sharing this interview with our listeners. Jim, it was great. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with John Stoy, otherwise known as Stoy Boy. <laughs> there you go. You know, connect with him at all the, all the places he just named. Um, and this too shall pass, folks. We're going to get through this. We're going to come back stronger than ever because that's just what we do. Anyway, until next week, another fantastic interview. I'm Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. You take great care. Bye-bye. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.